So tonight, protesters are heading into downtown Greensboro and <clears throat> chanting the name George Floyd, George Floyd. And I'm just compelled to record a video. Not sure entirely what I'm going to say, but I think something needs to be said. And so I just want to take a minute to maybe just carry you through my own thought process in a as authentic a way as I can, because I guess the first thing I, I want to say is to other pastors. And if you're not in that category, if you're not a pastor, just bear with me for a minute. Um, because I think it's okay not to say something right away. There's a lot of weird pressure that comes on pastors and probably leaders in general. Politicians might feel the same way. Some of them anyway, um, the good ones. But the, the pressure is to, to know what to say and to say something immediately. Um, like everyone looks at you with this expectation of, of an immediate, thoughtful, uh, perfectly crafted response. And you get this kind of thing of, uh, that gets repeated a lot, which is if you're not saying anything, then you're part of the problem. And I think that's a real mistake. Um, because quite often, maybe even most of the time, I don't know, but at least often, silence is not a sign of cowardice. It's a sign of wisdom that, at least in my case, it's, you know, things like the George Floyd incident. I watched that video of him being murdered and <clears throat> was instantly heartbroken. And not just because I was watching a man die, which is in itself difficult, but I've seen people die before. Um, I know what that feels like. This was the injustice of someone with power using that power to destroy a life and to do it um, by not listening <laughs> to the victim and not listening to the people around and instead using the power that they had that police officer and the others around him to murder somebody. Um, and it's, I was heartbroken by it, but didn't quite know what to say and immediately felt the pressure to say something, at least to my little flock here in Kernersville, North Carolina, but also aware that, it's quite very easy in these situations to be trite and use a lot of empty words um, to respond with a lot of uh, rhetoric and just repeat what everyone expects you to say, which in the end doesn't help and might even hurt. Because, you know, it's one thing to just, it's like there are two goals. One is to not make it worse, <laughs> which is harder than you think. When it comes to words, the more things you, the more words you say, as Proverbs tells us, the, in the, you know, when there's more words, there's more chances of looking like a fool. And, and so there's that. But then there's also, how do I make it better? And those are two very difficult questions that require a lot of thought and a lot of maybe experimentation. And, and so that, that, that's why I think, you know, maybe it's not always the best thing to speak first. But, but, but I feel like now, you know, so that was my initial reaction was, was, what do I say? I don't know what to say. This is horrible. I could say that. 
but everybody knows it's horrible. What am I contributing if I just say it's horrible? And so there's this thought process that goes on and maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. Um, you feel free to be the judge, but, but then that sent me into, again, I've done this before, but just a, just a research mission of what's happening in my country, how, you know, what's going on and are, how common is police brutality from whites to blacks? And you start digging into the data and there's a lot of, a lot of interesting things you learn. One of which is the federal government has not been tracking police brutality statistics very well at all up until Ferguson happened. And then Obama ordered them to start tracking it. It's taken them years to get that going. And still, as far as I can see, it's still that data is not available. And it's 100% voluntary for police departments to report their data. And of course, it's a massive political pressure to not report that data. And so it's, it's, it's really frustrating. So what's happened is all these individuals and some uh, journalists have begun gathering data for themselves, sifting through police reports and all this kind of information, digging out the data for themselves and compiling it and putting it out there. But it's still very hard from a data perspective to nail, to like track all the right variables so you get down to what's actually happening and whether or not it's racially motivated or not. It's worth diving into. And if you haven't ever done that, just do it. Because what you'll discover is that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of argument. There's a lot of bias all over the place. And there's a lot of failure. A lot of ugly failure by the people in power, the federal government, local and state governments, to adequately report and track the data that would be required to prove and pin them down on whether or not these incidents are isolated or systemic, right? That's the big question. And so just from a personal perspective, I, I, I've done that. I've spent the hours and it's maddening. And so I kind of came to this point where I'm looking at that and I'm going, it's going to be years before anybody actually, if ever, um, through data collection makes anyone accountable for any of this. Because there's so much resistance, so much incompetence, um, so much, to me, agendas out there competing over this issue. It's, it's amazing. And so you're, you're kind of left with, okay, what, what do you do now, right? How do you make sense of all this? And the, the place I've come to, which I think is the place that Jesus would come to, um, is that who are you going to believe? It's a question. Who are you going to believe? Do you believe, just to take the George Floyd incident as one example, as maybe a metaphor, do you believe the guy with his knee in George Floyd's neck who is saying, there's not a problem here. There's no racism here. This isn't a systemic problem. 
There's no problem. Get, just move along. Nothing to see here. Do you believe him? Or do you believe the guy on the ground being choked to death? Who's saying, I'm dying. Somebody help me. I think Jesus would say, you believe the victim. You believe the guy laying on the ground dying, breathing his last breath. You believe all the millions of African Americans across our country who are saying and have been saying, there's a problem. There's a real problem. Not a magical, mysterious problem. Not a hard to define or hard to understand problem. There are people around this country, all over this country, who are saying to us in that protest in Greensboro, like so many other protests across the country right now, they're all saying with one very loud, angry voice, there is a problem. And I think for those of us who are sitting at a comfortable distance, even watching this and this protest happening 20 minutes away, which is so far been, as far as I can tell, very peaceful. It's still very, it's still 20 minutes removed from me and it's a culture away from me. I'm a white guy sitting here in my suburban house in my suburban neighborhood. But over and over what you see in scripture, not just with Jesus, but with God himself, the father himself over and over again from the beginning, he has drawn near to the brokenhearted and the weak and the marginalized. He made the most broken and smallest and weakest civilization on the planet and with Israel, his people. He chose them as his people. He has been near the brokenhearted from the beginning. And he chose for his, Jesus chose for his disciples, the outsiders, and the people that he ministered to the most and spent the most time with and sat at the table and ate with and had communion and fellowship with were the downtrodden and the outcasts. And then he goes to the Sermon on the Mount, right? And you read the Sermon on the Mount and you see, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the earth. This is what God does. And I can sense in many people kind of in my culture, I can sense this hesitancy to simply believe the person who's being choked on the ground instead of believing the person with the power. And I think this is my challenge to you. And the thing I want to say to every person of color, black, Hispanic, whatever it is, the thing I want to say to you is I believe you. I believe you. I believe your story. And other people may or may not be listening to you, but I'm going to be one person at least that listens to you. You know, years ago, I used to have a very neat and tidy set of opinions about the issue of immigration. <clears throat> and then I made really good friends with a buddy of mine who 
came here with his parents when he was 10, 11 years old. And when I heard from him, from Mexico, when I heard his story and became friends with him, it's amazing how my perspectives and my feelings about that issue shifted. And the reason they shifted is because it was a human being and a friend and someone I knew and loved, flesh and blood, sitting in front of me. And I believed his story. I believed him. I looked him in the eye and I believed him. And I think that was powerful for him too. To be believed is important, especially when there's a big power differential between the two people, the people in power. It's very important that they believe the people that are being victimized. It's one thing to have a bunch of objective, calculated, scientific, political opinions about issues, about topics, about data, about all of these things. It's a whole other thing to when you're talking about a person or a people who are looking you in the eye and saying, this hurts, you're killing us, you're hurting me, stop hurting me. And at that point, it's not about the political issues, it's about a person. And I think this is the bridge white America has to cross. So we have to be the ones that cross over the bridge and say, we believe you. Do you know how powerful it would be if people in power in America said, we believe you? Because I think that's where the change starts. And I don't know. I don't have answers. This thing is complicated, and I don't really know all that should be done or all that should be said, but One thing I know is that our nation is hurting. We have a large group of people that are saying we're not being treated right. And the question is, are we going to believe them or not? Um, You you see this, you know, with the the rioting, um, when, when things move from a protest to a riot, like what's happening in Minneapolis right now and in other places, things being burned down and looting and all that. And, 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 and white people kind of get upset and, and, and go, I can't believe they're wasting this moment, stealing TVs and all of that. And look, I get it. It's I don't think anybody is saying, uh, that's a good thing. Okay, it's what's really fascinating is if you look at what MLK, what he said about because the same stuff was happening then riots, looting, all of it. And he would say, look, stop looting. Stop doing that. But you know what? He would then turn to the white people and he would say. This is what people who have been victimized sound like. This is what their voices sound like. I forget the exact quote, but that's basically what he said. When you, when you, if, if you've ever in your life had a moment when you've been actually powerless, where someone so much stronger than you was doing something to you that you had no power to change, and the, just try to imagine that and have some empathy for what that would feel like. One of the things you would feel is an absolute panicked rage and that's what we're seeing 
in those places where buildings would be burned and businesses being looted. It's a natural response to being powerless. And when you get a chance to take some power back, even if it's in the form of stealing a television, you're going to do it. Doesn't make it right, but it makes it understandable, I think. So as I look at these protests in my city in Greensboro, I think the heart of God is that our hearts be broken. Our hearts should be broken. And our hearts should be inclined to listen and not to chastise, not to excuse, not to explain away. but to listen. So I want to invite you tonight to listen, to pay attention, to believe people when they say something's happening to them, to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I also want to just issue an invitation. And I don't know if this is weird or lame. If it is, just ignore me. Um, I'm just feeling my way along here. I don't have anything planned. I don't have any notes written down. I'm just talking from the cuff. But if you are, if you have a story to tell, a story of when maybe you were not listened to, especially interested in the African-American experience right now, I want to hear your story. When someone made assumptions about you because of the color of your skin. When you were snubbed or rejected or treated wrongly or unjustly because people made assumptions about you because you look different or you come from a different part of town or whatever it is. African-American, Hispanic, I don't care. I want to hear your story and I don't want to force you to tell it in public. You can, if you want, but just if you want to direct message me on Facebook or by email um, or put it in the comment, whatever. Um, I'd like to hear your story. And what I'm going to tell you is I'll believe you. <laughs> That's simple. Because God is near the brokenhearted. And I think God's heart is near the African-American community right now around this country and around the world. And I want to do what the heart of God is doing. And so my heart is broken for you. And I don't know what to do about it. I just don't know what to do about it. But here's the first step. Simply the words from one white guy. <laughs> trying to use his voice in a way that makes sense. But my word to you is, I believe you. Tell me your story. I want to hear it. I want to hear it from your mouth. And so I hope and I pray for our country. And right now I pray for Greensboro, North Carolina, that they would be safe, but that their voices would be heard tonight. Amen. <laughs>